Hello everyone and welcome back to the 16mm Film Crew. I'm Cindy. And I'm Dale. You can watch us on YouTube, you can like and comment on our YouTube videos and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can support us on Anchor. You can listen to us everywhere podcasts are found at 16mm Film Crew Podcasts. Leave us a rate and review. And visit us on our website at www.16millimeterfilmcrew.com. So this week we are reviewing FX's The Bear. Here is the synopsis. A young chef from the fine dining world comes home to Chicago to run his family sandwich shop after a heartbreaking death in his family. A world away from what he used to do, Carmi must balance the soul-crushing realities of small business ownership, his strong-willed and recalcitrant kitchen staff, and his strained familiar relationships, all while grappling with the impact of his brother's suicide. As Carmi fights to transform both the shop and himself, he works alongside a rough-around-the-edges kitchen crew that ultimately reveals itself as his chosen family. So this series stars Jeremy Allen White, Ebon Moss Backrock, Ayo Edibari, Lionel Boyce, Liza Colon Zayas, and Abby Elliott, and it is created by Chris Storer. Okay, so Dale, tell us about your feelings of the show. Uh, I mean, it's it's beautifully like well done and made. Um, for some reason, it feels like these movies have to like, like of course we see the menu, but I'm talking about like Chef. Like there, there's like a world being explored as far as the um, as is that venue because of chefs and that lifestyle i think it's it's really eye-opening because we tend to forget that that is also a really creative and artistic feel you know that the immense pressure like you know of course we, we're talking as a as people who work in um you know film and tv you know pressures of being writers and editors and all that stuff but most people can you know understand that because they consume so much of it but they fail to realize when they go to these restaurants even even if you're not going to a fine dining establishment like your regular mom and pop restaurant you know i in high school i worked in a pizzeria so i understood i like i vibed very much with that chaotic nature and being under pressure and having to deal with um customers being argumentative you can kind of forget that's also a very high pressure creative environment as well until you we witness and consume these entertainment properties that bring that aspect into it. Yeah, I was like, I think it is very eye-opening in terms of like, you know, when you go to a restaurant and you're just like ordering food, you don't sometimes think about like what's going on behind the kitchen doors. Like it really is warfare over there. And it reminded me a lot of like working on set. Yeah. Just because of the like, like you said, the intensity and the speed of which you have to work, like no excuses. Like you have to be on top of your stuff 24 seven. Like if you don't do what you need to be doing, you will get yelled at or, or cursed at. Like it's very, it's like very normal. <laughs> normalized behavior to work under those conditions. And it's interesting seeing the progression of Carmi throughout the series because he worked at like a really like top tier fine dining restaurant where the head chef was like yelling at him, screaming at him. He was like having stomach cramps and anxiety. And you see him kind of turn into a version of that towards the end before kind of coming back around to who he really is. Um, and I like that. I like that they try to do something different and try to like change the environment of the workplace 
to where, yes, you still need to be like on on it and like doing your job, but it is more. I don't want to say relaxed, but just more um, comfortable. Like it feels like a family versus like you're competing against this other chef just to make sure like you're doing what you need to do and you're like, I don't know, that your dishes are the best or whatever. So I liked that. I like they were trying to change the system, even though the system is very much rigged against them. Like being small business owners, you really got to see like the struggle of like someone trying to like build this business back up from the ground and it never seems to be enough money never seems to be enough workers like i totally get how that can be it can feel like you're like fighting a losing battle so it was it was very impactful i thought yeah i love like the the, the show does so much with this subject matter you know there in chicago and you have carmy coming back to like a mama pop restaurant and you have his cousin who's not really his cousin you know berating him and saying oh this restaurant isn't the fine dining place where you have you know uh cindy you know uh she's saying um like he used to week work at these high-end restaurants he won food and wines you know this by this age blah 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 and you see the there's also a a, like almost a class battle going on between him and his cousin like oh you're not like us you left us you're not a common person you're trying to make it fancy but then you have that struggle of people like they are afraid of changing the menu because you have so many people in the neighborhood who've used to it used to what they have and then you know he's also fearing change because of the restaurant changes those people don't come back and a whole new group of people come and it's it's i like no matter the industry you're always gonna have that battle you know of people fearing change you could talk about restaurants you could talk about you know we've we've seen it at work where we've we've told people like no you need to do this and they're like no i'm i want to do it my way and then they realize oh my way was bad i should have listened the first time and we have to repeat mm. the process like you see it in churches where you have like older members who are fighting on to traditionalism of how they do church service and they're always complaining about oh there are no young people here because what you're providing is not really advantageous to us so it's like struggling against change is no matter the industry or your demographic is always an issue that is always going to be one that people are always wrestling with. Yeah. I think that's why I like the character of Sydney so much, just because like there is a pushback of towards her when she first comes in because she is extremely talented and she does see the potential of the restaurant. But I liked her relationship with Carmi and how like they are trying to like, they're on the same wavelength of like what they want to do with it. But I think their methods are just different. And I like that she, again, like, I like how they're trying to change the workplace in terms of, like, she's able to have a conversation with him and be like, hey, like, I know you're my boss, but I want you to listen to what I have to say. And, like, when I'm saying it, like, actually listen. Like, don't just be like, okay, cool, and move on to the next thing. Um, Which I loved. I love it. They're trying to, again, like just remake like how we have these interactions at work between employees and leadership. Like, I just feel like there is so much to learn from younger people who come in, especially if you're hiring them because of their expertise. Um, and also there's like the person who's hiring you has the experience and kind of knows what they're doing as well. So it is like a balance to kind of give and take of like, 
communication and listening and like, you know, trying to figure out a pathway forward because I feel like everyone kind of respects Sydney after a while because they're like, no, 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 she knows what she's doing. Like, she's not just here to like push us around and tell us what to do. She actually is good at her job, but she also is like good as a leader as well. And I thought that was, I really liked her character. I really did. I thought that was just a really great writing in terms of like, and also you don't really see that many black women kind of in those positions on, not on television, because actually on television, there are a lot of them, but I've never seen anything like this, like in this kind of setting where you have kind of that, like a white boss, but also a black kind of co-boss. She's like, she's a sous chef, but she is effectively like helping to run this restaurant. So I really liked that. I just thought that her character was like really well written and also just well acted. The actress AO is like very good. Yeah, the dynamic indication between um, Jeremy's character, Cindy, and particularly the older Hispanic lady who was the previous yeah. number two cook. Like, I love that that interplay because you have Cindy coming in like, oh, I know what to do and I want to do it. And the whole time, uh, Carmi is like, no, you got to relax. And he's 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 like Carmi is a perfect example of people who are for change, but understand we have to do it incrementally. We can't just wholesale yeah. do it. So he was doing like baby steps. First, we're gonna change the way we run the kitchen, where everybody takes care of their station. Nobody's hopping over each other. Once we have that down pat to a science, then we could go further and further. We can't just instantaneously change it. Like remember when she was she gave she accidentally gave the food critic the um the the meal she made and everybody liked it and he was like you have to wait we're not mm. we're not ready yet because it was just one new menu item when the whole menu itself had to be reworked like we couldn't just they couldn't just put what ribeye and risotto on the menu and still serve like sandwiches and stuff but she was pushing for it mm. and he like he told her like before the chaos with the tickets with, with the tickets happened in the kitchen like i spoke to your other bosses they said you don't have patience and she mm. took that as like an insult because she's like, in my head, I know I'm ready. I've been doing all this bullshit. Let's go. But then you have paralleling that as her relationship with that, the Spanish lady before they become friends. Like she refuses to listen to her until she's like, hey, I need to do this. And she was like, no, fuck you. I'm going to do my own thing until she fucks up. I think the um, like a sauce. She dumps mm. it and Cindy just goes real quick, chop, 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 and sets it put on a stage, puts it, sets it there and walks away. She's like, I don't have time for bullshit. And she just walks mm. away. And then the Spanish lady understands like, oh, she's doing this because she knows her shit. You know, I, I love those that how that those three relationships kind of ebb and flow in a way. Yeah. And again, I think it's just a good example of like. It's cool. And I guess maybe that's more effective of like my generation or not my, but like my side, my, my age group and kind of younger where we're like full to the brim with ideas and we're like ready to get in there and make change happen. And it's like, mm, not, not at that pace. Like I, I feel you, I feel you, but like, we're going to have to take this step by step. And I know like a lot of young people don't always want to hear that because they feel like things have been messed up for so long that they can kind of just jump in there and make the changes. But really, like, you still need your elders. Like, you still need to listen, to be patient, to pay your dues, just like everybody else. Like, we don't get a free ride just because <laughs> the system has, I guess, affected us the most or whatever. But it's like, 
you know, like there's still, like I said, like there's still a balance that needs to be struck. And I think that this show was like a perfect example of how that can happen. Yeah, I, f- I feel like our, our generation kind of fits the the issues of like both uh, Cindy and Carmi have as far as entering the workforce. Because like you said, we want to do so much, but we don't lack, we lack the finesse or the understanding. Um, and it also takes in that relationship where the boss and the both the employee can kind of understand and come to a, a synergy where the boss understands you have these skills. I'm going to use these skills and pick and choose like like when we're at work you know we have that relationship with our boss and and it's hard it takes time because i remember when i first started at at our at our job way before before you came in like we would go at it on like shoot days like like yelling back and forth like everybody involved were pissed off at somebody for messing up something and then people mm-hmm. were like why is it taking so long? but that's literally what it's like on set but then you also have to learn that just because that's the dynamic doesn't mean that it always has to be the dynamic. Like them yelling in the kitchen was always a dynamic, but then Carmi learned that can't always be the dynamic, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought his journey of like healing and stuff was really interesting um, because they get the restaurant, his brother losing the restaurant because he has passed away because of his addiction. And I liked that they delved into the mental health issues that he was having personally, how it was affecting his entire family and like their broader community. Cause it seemed like it's a very tight knit community wherever they live. I mean, in Chicago, but like in that specific area. So you see how um, Michael's death has like affected everyone from the staff to like people who he, that he owed money to, like everything was kind of, caving and it was just really um it was really interesting to see him get that help to have him ask questions and i don't know if anyone else has i'm sure i think everyone has either had addiction affect their lives personally um or someone they know has been affected by addiction and even in the groups that i'm in um kind of supporting someone who's dealing with that um he was asking a lot of the same questions that i heard in those meetings or the questions that I've, I've even asked myself like okay like how do you, do you not know like what kind of you what could have what you could have done better to help this person and all these type of things I thought it was really interesting to see how he Carmi was grappling with it but also to see how um Richie was dealing with it and yeah just how that affects the family and then but like tying that back into the restaurant, like what does that mean for them to be at this restaurant and to save it, you know, like not to sell it, but to like, to build it up, to make it better than it was before. Um, and just the passion of like cooking and how that was the bond that him and his brother had. And that's why he's so passionate about it. And I just really liked all of that stuff. I think that that really filled out the story versus it being like a very like comedy drama of like, what goes on in a kitchen in a restaurant like i felt like that made it a lot more impactful and a lot more deep yeah i do i do like the one scene where they had dang what's the old boy who played punisher punisher dude who's actually the mike who plays michael um, um jay berthall 
hope I'm pronouncing his name yeah, right. John Berthold. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm happy. You know, most time when they feature a character who is deceased in a show, they do multiple flashbacks. I'm glad in this show they only stuck like one flashback, but it did such a good job of you know, it's kind of of reiterating how the bond there that not just Mikey, but I'm um, not just uh Carmi, but sister, you know, Mikey and their the cousin, their brothers, um Richie. Uh the mm-hmm. four of them had before Mike uh before Mikey passed. Um and it's amazing to see how we we just get that one glimpse and it become it repeats itself again at the end where um uh Carmi's in the um Alcoholics Anonymous meeting talking saying his brother just had Every had a way of making everybody feel felt loved, and he was saying, "Oh, I thought we were close, but everybody was close with him." And that that one flashback illustrated that perfectly. Like they didn't have to show it again. Like I remember, like yes, that's vi- the vi- it was communicated so perfectly visually, one time that I don't need to re- to repeat it. And so that loss of him is instantaneously felt once you once you saw that flashback and you continue with the show, you could see the chasm that is left with him not being there um and it's 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 one of those things like as now that i'm older and i can kind of and i've had conversations with my sisters and it's also a story of two siblings you know the younger the younger sibling not understanding how much older sibling loved him and i can understand being older sibling i can understand mikey's viewpoint because um, of course, if you're from an immigrant family, the oldest child is the pillar of the family. Like, if something happens to mom and dad, you gotta pick up a slack. So at that point, Mikey's now running the restaurant, and he was fervent against not having Carmi there because he didn't want Carmi. Like, as an older sibling, I understood the logic. He doesn't want him stuck. He wants him to go beyond and do more. And Car and Carmi saw it a totally different way. He's like, my brother doesn't love me. He's pushing me out. So he turns that into a hunger and drive which is low-key what mikey wanted he was like he probably saw that carmy was much better like they're both had a love of food but carmy would not go beyond the restaurant had carmy been at at the restaurant with him at the same time you know and that's also you know if if you're aware of those kind of pressures what leads to the issues that mikey has which creates a situation that the whole show is set in but yeah it's this show is like like for like a movie like a show about restaurants it does so much with telling interpersonal relationships really well yeah it does and i totally saw it's funny that you mentioned that because i can definitely see it from carmy's point of view being the youngest child like you even though I think that was Mikey's def- definite atten- um, intention was to like <laughs> push him to greatness and like, no, you don't need to be stuck here, like do more. I felt that maybe not the, okay, I need to do better so that you will like accept me or something like that, but more in, in terms of like, everyone already sees you as like a baby. Like they see you like a child. And so you do feel like you have to push yourself more to just be seen as like an adult or be taken seriously. And I definitely can see that. Like, I was really into hard time. I was like, mm-hmm, yeah, I get it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I again, like what you were saying, like, I just feel that all of those smaller moments where characters are just talking to each other about stuff. I thought I really appreciated that. 
Um, I think the pacing was a little off just because this show very much reminds me of like the big short in terms of editing. Like everything's very quick and like fast paced, but then it slows down and then it quick and it picks back up again. And then, so it was kind of like, you're like on the pace of like this adrenaline rush of like, okay, woof, we're, we're getting it. Like people are throwing pans and there's fire and all like, and you're in it. And then it like, closed down a lot like we spent so much time with marcus trying to figure out this these damn donuts like i was like okay sir like i know you're obsessed with the donuts like i get the reason why you care so deeply about them because this is the first time you've ever been able to be creative i feel you but like we spent a hot like three or four episodes on him (laughs) these donuts yeah i I wish in the time we spent with him like you know, we see him for four or five episodes where they focus on him developing his creative path. You know, he talks about, you know, he used to work at McDonald's and is just sitting there and frying f- frying fries and flipping burgers. And he said it's the first job where he's able to be creative. You know, mm-hmm. I wish in that those four episodes where, you know, we got to know him a bit more, there was a bit more pushback on him. You know, hey, bro, we need these rolls and these bread, like what you doing bro like you slacking mm-hmm. off and it, it only comes to a head at the end where he's like hey carmy look at this nice ass donut i made and and it's like and the, and the thing is being in a restaurant being no matter your career when it's all all hands on deck situation and you're the one person like fucking around and doing something else it pisses everybody off and so for him not to have a worth all like oh we know mad orders are coming in because you know she messed up and so people were pre-ordering from way before the restaurant opened blah 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 and you come up here with a fucking donut when i i need i need all my all, everything else prepared carmy like has or i i'm 100 in that in that situation on carmy's side because in i'm like bro what the fuck are you doing i don't give a fuck about these donuts i need everything else that you're doing so but yeah, but Loki and honestly with Marcus though, I'm honestly impressed with uh Lionel's acting. Cause mm-hmm. if if you're like hip hop music person, you know he was a he was in that whole group with um Todd the Creator and Frank Ocean, um all he was odd a future. Part of he's in of ASAP Mob. No, no, odd future, not ASAP Mob. What? Oh no, he's no, no. Odd, odd future. ASAP Mob is an, an artist. No, yeah. yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Their entire collective. Yeah, so he wasn't. Yeah, if you like, if a couple years ago he was on a show, but it was mostly improv and they were, they were doing stupid hit stuff. Him, Tyler, you know, and um. Uh, Earl sweatshirt. It's called Loiter Squad, but it was more comedy, and they were just doing whatever they want. So to see him flip it from that one acting experience and doing something like serious, I was like really impressed, knowing the background he's mm-hmm. coming from. But yeah. Well, it's interesting because the writer did, um, I think he did Eighth Grade, and he did like a couple of other comedy films. And Ayo, who plays Sydney, is also from the comedy world. Yeah. So I think that they were like very much incorporating people who like did comedy, who did improv, like into the show because the show is very funny. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably what happened. But yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so. Anyway. Yeah. Um. Yeah. What were you saying? No, that was it. That was the only point I was making. I was really impressed with this before. I was like, oh shit, it's 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 dude from you know, our future, and he's acting seriously. That's amazing. So, but yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I liked the dynamic through. And that's the thing with having like multiple characters. It's like you have to pay attention to all of them. And I think that they and I think they did a good job with like spreading, you know, the the character development around enough for most of the characters. There were some who were just like in the background, but for like our main like him, um, I think her name was Tina, the Latina. Yeah. Yes. Um, and Carmi and Richie and Sydney. I feel like all of them had a lot going on. And then that other guy who was just like fixing stuff, but also like worked there and also like was just there to eat food. Yeah. I don't know what his job was, but he was just a <laughs> serial pyramid. Like I wish the other two, the older two black gentlemen, the um I guess he was Somali yeah. and the other guy who they discovered like late in the show where oh you used to play for you used to play baseball for the Red Sox, like a lot of Red Sox the White Sox and they just glanced over it and nothing else came up of it. Like I I hope in the upcoming season, you know, where they actually open the restaurant, the bear, like they get their even shine as well, you know, because they they really were mostly behind the scenes a lot because you know we're dealing mostly focusing on on Carmi and his interactions with Richie and his interactions and his interactions with Sydney and Sydney's interaction with like the other two characters. So hopefully, this coming seat next season they get there, they just do as well. Yeah. yeah. My favorite episodes were definitely the last two. That one episode, I think it was episode seven, where it's just all in one take. That's like the one thing I knew about the show before I even watched it, was everyone talking about that one take episode, um, which was done really well. Like you definitely felt the tension and the pressure of it. And I thought that was executed great. Jeremy did a fantastic job during that. Maybe that's the, the episode that helped him get his Emmy. I'm not sure, but like... I have a feeling. And um, just the way the show is shot, I felt like the cinematography was really well done. Um, because like, I think when it comes, I think when it comes to filming cities that you've seen a lot in movies and television, you do have to have a different approach of how you're going to shoot it just to make it interesting and fresh. And I think they definitely did that. Uh, like this show beyond... um that it, it was very well done. i like the the intentionality that they had with depicting you know mental health like they did the kind of the same thing um that we saw in last of us where joel was you know when he was having panic he grabbed his his chest and try and calm himself down you know the things with Carmi is like having panic attacks and he's zoning out and stuff like that like there are times when i was i like i can relate to those very much where stuff would happen and i would just like stare off and like someone would grab me, like, are you are you okay? I was like, oh, I'm fine. Like people would like, mm -hmm. be like people would say, what are you staring at? And I would just they were just like, I'm staring at nothing. But like I like his whole struggles with the men, his mental health, dealing with a the abuse that when we're having jobs for the first time that we don't understand, we take it as it's okay. It's not until you know Cindy counters it like, yeah, all my old other bosses were dickheads. Carmi, Carmi always took it as this is how things done is how they are. And it's not until he's you now dealing with the pressure of, you know, running the restaurant and dealing with his brother's death that he's actually now processing that abuse he had in his prior employment. So, yeah, thought it was all handled really well. Mm. Just in the visual representations as well, like the bear and him being on that like fake TV show and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, they did a really good job with that. Mm. 
so moving on from the bear um it's time for, on to our box office stuff of course you know it's you know the, the darling of the the weekend of course is super mario it earned um earned another um 180 million worldwide well total i think this is the total of it now had another big weekend um so kudos to them doing well i mean the box office is kind of maintained kind of the same um only uh john wick you know grabbed another uh 26.5 million um and also now launched in south korea you know so um that launched in south korea to 5.9 million um so yeah and of course um renfield i think that's the um nicholas cage movie um it did uh tank although it did earn 7.7 million so i don't know i don't consider that a tank because it over a weekend if you make 7.7 million that's fine but we don't know i don't know what it is compared to its um production costs at the moment so we'll see it might be back make, make it back in a long-term theatrical one or you know nicholas cage's trend of doing really bad movies but them somehow becoming cult gaming like every nicholas cage movie seems to be bad but for some reason it gains iconic cult status and they somehow recoup the money i think the only nick cage movie recently that wasn't bad from the get-go was the one where the um uh pedro pascal was in i forgot the name of it but that was the only one that i remember had good promotion good reviews throughout its theatrical run and made did good in box office that didn't like tank from jump you know so Maybe it's, maybe Nick Cage should probably switch instead of theatrical releases with his projects. Maybe you know either straight to streaming, kind of what Adam Sandler does with all his duds outside of Uncut Gems and um the basketball movie. But every 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 individually produced Adam Sandler movie is always bad. But because he had that giant Netflix contract, they all went on Netflix and his fans would watch him. I think he should try that route. Um, Nicholas Page with his movies instead of avoiding, you know, the box office slap he usually gets these last couple of years. Okay. Um, moving on to news. So our first news story is about Angus Cloud's ex-manager who has detailed the actor's alleged substance abuse struggles. So um, Angus's ex-manager basically went, I think he went on like Instagram or something or Twitter and talked about how he's owed like $60,000 um, because he was putting in the work to like help Angus um, you know, book jobs, but also like do other business ventures. And he was in throes of addiction. He was also shooting Euphoria season two around the same time. This is all unraveling. And people tried to intervene. He was like in and out of rehab. So I guess he's like trying to recoup his losses. Um, I don't know how I feel about this. Yeah. Like, on one hand, like, I understand, like, dealing with someone who's an addiction is really, really difficult, especially, like, if you see the potential in this person and they're booking jobs and things seem like they're going well career-wise, but personally, things are kind of falling through. Um, but he wasn't, like, voicing his concerns in order to be, like, he, Angus needs help. He was voicing his concerns in order to get paid. 
And I just felt like there was a way to do that because rightly or wrongly, like when someone's in the throes of addiction, like they're going to do messed up stuff, like unfortunately. And the best thing that you can do is like try to help them, but helping them isn't always like helping them really isn't like a hands-on type situation. Like you can only do so much for people. Like they kind of have to make that decision themselves. But I just don't feel like putting all of this out there was an attempt to help him at all. It very much felt like a self-motivated campaign to like get money. And I don't, that's, that's really messed up. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I mean, it's it it's unfair for I understand you're a manager, you're owed your six million, sixty million or sixty thousand dollars. Um, but to now throw your former um your former client under the bus like that and then reveal like in the midst of this whole situation, you you know, you're doing drugs and dealing with substance abuse so like that. Um that's something that could have been handled behind the scenes, you know. Right. I understand legal and litigation processes a while, but now, now it comes to you as a professional. Like, how do I now do my current clients or my future clients? You know, how are they going to react? You know, if they're if they're going through the throes of something private, uh, addiction or whatever, and then I'm going to expose them for blackmail for not you know them paying me. Um, and it's and it's really odd considering. This is your he's with him as a client on Euphoria, a show with young people dealing with a young person dealing with addiction. You know, it's it's really weird as a manager that you know that you're he's you're an actor on a show is going through this and he never, you know, informed, you know, Sam or anybody else involved saying August needs help. August is is has a drug problem and i do think as much as the bullshit we do give sam i do think having that experience and knowing that his struggles and how he needed help they would have got august the help he needed you know so well apparently according to this article sam did intervene yeah. i think he was i think he said something so i guess he was aware of it but again like when you're in addiction like there really isn't anything anyone can say or do like it really has to be your decision and usually that doesn't happen until you like hit literal rock bottom yeah so i think probably like going to set every day kind of kept him afloat a little bit um because he has some type of structure where you like you have to be on set you have to do you have to know your lines you have to be here but again there's only like so much anyone could do i'm I I'm really scared for him. Like I really hope that if this is all true, like he is getting the help he needs because I just don't want to see like another person like fold under under, you know, the weight of addiction. But again, it's just so the way that this was presented, it really wasn't he didn't say any of this to help Angus at all. It was, like it doesn't feel like that. It was being being malicious, honestly. Um, it seems like to me in the height of this whole situation, that man was keeping a journal of all everything August was dealing with, everything he was doing for, you know, future leverage. And that, and that's what this feels and looks like. There's no other way it can be misconstrued the other way. So, yeah. Mm. Um, 
So if you remember last week, I spoke a bit about, you know, my viewing of beef, you know, watching the first mm. couple episodes. Um, but a video has surfaced of uh, David Cho. Um, one of the, um, he plays uh, Steve Yoon's character's cousin um, in and out of jail and whatnot. Steve Yoon, um, not Steve Yoon, Dave Cho is also, um, if you watch the show and you see the, um, the title cards, he is the artist behind those title cards. Um, and this video, um, is from 2014 on, where, on his podcast, uh, interviewing, um, uh, another, um, one of his co-hosts, uh, Asa Akura, probably not that wrong, um, he goes into detail, um, talking about, um, assaulting, um, a black woman, and, um, he goes on to say, this is one of the other, this is what journalist, um, R. Brogo, uh, tweeted, um, according to his own telling, the woman David Cho assaulted is black. He describes himself as a successful rapist, and the dialogue between the two, um, the co-host and co-host, um, continues, and, um, and then he goes on to say, um, it's a thrill of possibly going to jail, and that he achieved, like, his, uh, erection a quest his co-star goes on to say you're basically telling us that you're a rapist now and that was only to get your dick hard is rape and she goes yeah um and then he continues saying beautiful then he goes on to describe his victim um the alleged victim um so yeah this is not a, a good look at all for either because if you've uh there it becomes revealing through more interviews and stuff like that stuff far he got the show apparently part of the reason why he got the show is on the show is his close friends with steve yun and ali wong the two leads of the show ali wong's current um twitter is privated um so it is not a good look for the state of the show on potentially receiving a second season um because if you know if i'm a lead actor and i'm involved in this thing capacity even my friend or not, you most PR would tell you to, you know, get out in front of this instead of just going behind doors, closed doors and going silent. So, uh, he did post to, um, he did, um, send the journalist a copyright notice, you know, to take off the video of, uh, of him saying that on her uh, Twitter, but damage is done as to like everybody's downloading the video. Like, should I have a copy of it? If you want to give me a copyright notice, I don't care. I'm probably going to repost it later. Um, but yeah, it's not a good look for them or for Netflix as well. Um, you, you gotta do your due diligence when you're casting shows like this, man. So it's, it's not like it was a long time ago. 2004 is still kind of, 2014 is still very recent. So yeah. Yeah. Everyone has to do their due diligence now because because of the internet. Because of the internet. Um, and protect black women, yo. Like <laughs> we are so in danger. Um. Anyways, moving on to the next story. So this weekend, um, most people were tuning into Coachella. If you were not there in person, you were watching online. Thank you, YouTube. Um. And I know for me and for a lot of my friends, the biggest kind of name that we were excited for was Frank Ocean. 
Um, Frank Ocean has not performed live in six years. But the reason why I bring this up because it, he is a musician. It's not. It's not movie or television related. However, I think I read that he is about to direct a his feature film for A twenty four. So. Who knows what that's going to be? I am excited for it, but I am disappointed. <laughs> I am very disappointed. So basically, like I said, YouTube was live streaming all of the performances. I watched Blackpink's performance. Um, I didn't watch Bad Bunny's because I'm not, I don't know any of his music, but um, I was about to watch Frank Ocean's performance. I was going to stay up to watch it. And then the news came out that his performance would not be live streamed which is like what are you talking about secondly for the people who were there who actually did get to see it um he, he arrived on stage about almost like an hour late from when his performance was supposed to start mm -hmm. he sang like a couple of songs the rest of the set was him basically just like dancing and like lip syncing to the rest of his song so like basically like an album listening party uh, where the audience just sang and he just like stood on stage and did nothing and then he left early <laughs> because Coachella has a curfew so like they're renting out the space so like you have to be done at a certain time and because he was late they had to kind of cut it off but it, he also just left early from the performance. So people are up in arms over this and I am too. Right. And here so. are the reasons why. Yeah. Here are the reasons why. First of all, this man has not performed in six years. He's not performed live. He has not dropped an album since 2016. So this is going to be his big comeback. Like he's coming back <laughs> on stage after many years of not being on the scene. And also after personal tragedy, he lost his brother, uh, I think two or three years ago. So if I was at Coachella, right? So I paid my money and you know, Coachella is expensive. Like it's $800 plus to get a ticket there. Yeah. Um, I spent all of that money and you know, people who are going to Coachella, some of them got money, but a lot of people don't like a lot of people are, are like spending their, like <laughs> their last coins to get over there. And people are coming to pay to see you. The audacity to not even show up for like an hour and then leave early and then barely sing your songs, that's just like flat out disrespectful. Like that's disrespectful to people who paid to go see you. It's not like you were like promising an album and it didn't happen. Like that, art artists do that all the time. You are performing live for people who left their houses to travel over there, people who booked flights, people who are like staying in tents to go see you. And it's just like complete disrespect for your fan base. And then to not live stream it for the people who couldn't afford or could not make the trip over there is wild. Like, and people were like, oh, well, maybe he's gonna like, like say that he's gonna drop a new album. That's not even true because he didn't do that. He literally was like, there's not a new album coming. <laughs> so I was just, I was outraged. Like I was absolutely outraged at that. And then you're gonna have, while you are performing, 
you're not really seen. It's like a big screen. Basically, it looks like we're watching you in on set somewhere else. Like you're not even there, basically. And then you're gonna have your audience sing most of your songs. I hate when artists do that. Like I sing your songs in my house all the time. Like I didn't pay to come, or I'm not even watching to come hear other people sing your music. Like we're here for you to for you to perform it. And according to like, and I've heard some of the footage from the people who captured it on their TikToks and stuff. Thank you, people who live streamed <laughs> out there. Um, that like the vocals were good. It's not like he was the the his talent dipping was never in question. That it was never about like, oh, can he still do this? Like, yes, he can. The question is like, why are you not doing the job that you were hired for? Like, or that you agreed to? Like, you agreed to this? Like months in advance you knew months in advance that you were performing and if your mental health was dipping if you were struggling with stuff like you didn't have to do this like you could have pulled out weeks before that day of the performance like that's happened that literally happened last year kanye was supposed to perform he wasn't able to do it the weekend performed instead like it's not unheard of for these things to happen and i'm thinking like if there is an issue like you don't have to like go through go through with it. I mean, contractually there might be stuff there, but like I feel like you can figure out your way around it. Like I'm sure you could, but I just feel like showing up and not respecting your audience's time, not as respecting their like desire to see you perform live. People who literally gave you your career, by the way, like that just seems. I can't, I don't, I can't comprehend why someone would ever do that. Like, I just don't understand the logic behind it. Well, apparently, um, I think about, well, this is a story that I think Billboard, Billboard.com is running right now currently as well. Um, a couple, and they released it to TMZ first, so you know how that usually goes, is that they're saying uh, Frank hurt his ankle on at uh, Coachella before he was performing. Apparently it happened near like the Polo Grounds area where it was serious to the point where um, doctors advised his production be changed. So it's clear that in, there are production issues going on if his ankle was legitimately hurt. But at that point they were, Coachella I think was probably aware we're already making changes. So, and it's obvious, I think the initial set design was to include a skating rink with ice skaters mm -hmm. on it. And it's clear, you know, once they realized they couldn't perform, that had to be scrapped. But that's fine. Cool. Now, I understand that's going to affect, you know, the performance or whatever. You're on an injured ankle. That's perfectly fine within the reason. But to arrive an hour late into your headlining set is, and then to have these long pregnant pauses saying what's next shows a level of I don't give a fuck beyond what I've ever seen which is this is weird like as you said Frank has not released a track for a long time and I remember the lead up to you know his first uh his first album you know mm. we were just playing all people were listening and hoping and waiting for him to get an album you know listening to all his um his demo stuff you know Frank is a, a really talented artist but I do feel like he's cut from that Kanye cloth of where mm. ego comes in and it kicks your ass and it like fucks up every other opportunity you could possibly have because 
I mean, and um, what I'm saying, like you, like you're saying with TikTok and Twitter, like even people were saying that were there, like he was so far away from the actual viewing area on stage that people were stuck watching those. Even people in the front row were stuck watching mm -hmm. on monitors. I'm mean, like, that's beyond absurd. That's that shows a like, yeah, your ankle hurt, but everything else involved shows a clear lack of professionalism on on your part. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's my thing. It's like, first of all, Frank doesn't, he's not like Usher. Like, he's not about to be out here doing choreo. So yeah. you really could just sit down and sing. Like, literally, that's all you can do. And that would have been enough. Like, I feel like everyone would have been fine with that. Yeah. Um, So he could have done that and that would have been fine. But I just feel like, I feel like he has built such a mystique. And the, the, here's the thing. Frank Ocean is my favorite artist. Like, beyond anyone else like he's at the top so i could only imagine other people who paid that's my thing like someone these people paid mad dollars to come see you like that's just but anyways i can i just feel like if you're gonna he's built a mystique of like being hidden not really being known even when you listen to his music you don't even know what it's really about because you don't know him but I just feel like he's playing into that way too hard to the point where it's like, mm, I can do whatever I want. And I know that you're still going to be here, like lapping up my music, like absolutely like blowing me the entire time. Like, that's what it's giving. It's giving like I can just do whatever I want. Like if I show up late and I leave early, whatever. Like if I drop my album tomorrow, you're still going to stream it like crazy. And... It's that level of like disrespect, disregard, and just like, like you said, ego pride, just playing, just believing your own hype to a certain degree. And I'm trying to be generous and not, yeah. I really hope that that's not what's happening because I respect the hell out of this man. But I just feel like I don't know what happened here. Like, I'm not sure what was this. And the thing is, is like, no one even knows if he's going to perform next week. Because, again, Coachella is a two-week <laughs> festival. So, like, what's going to happen next week? I literally don't even know. Like, are people even going to come back? I have no idea. Because this was yeah. a mess. And it's, it's, and, you know, as much flack as I gave Rihanna during the Super Bowl for being pregnant and then doing what she did, she, she still went up there. She still gave she a show. She still gave a show. Um... But yeah, I don't think it's it. We'll see how. But and my thing is, he was the only person who was like, "Yeah, I don't want my cons this concert or this thing being streamed." Mm -hmm. Like no other headliner. No, it's like you're the only person. This is you, and and it's bad because all right, you knew going into it as a Coachella performer, most likely like coach all these concerts and um all these venues have changed their model you know post uh pandemic where they're streaming mm -hmm. the concerts live you know they all have different they're different distributors for streaming the concerts they have you know contracts so now in so mm -hmm. now you're going to you're going to youtube you no know, colors going to youtube yeah we're no supposed to be a 24 whatever stream for the day with different concerts from different venues frank doesn't want to go at you know nine o'clock at night so now there's no stream. So now mm -hmm. Coachella and now YouTube slash Google God, I'm like, all right, 
So now our contract's being broken and being cut early. So how, like, it affects, like, his temper tantrum affects the fans. It affects, you know, Coachella. It affects a whole slew of people. Um, So, yeah, it's, yeah. Ego is a hell of a drug. Wild. So, yeah. Yeah, wild. Um, moving one to one petulant man trial of artist to another. Um, The weekend, no. the weekend now, no, it's, it's amazing. It's a pattern. We we've gone to one crybaby artist. You know, we mentioned a Super Bowl performer, and now we're talking about the weekend. It's it's amazing how these things come together when we we when we when we do these things. But you know, the weekend is now refuting criticism that his show idol saying you can't please everybody. Um, of course, he's currently the most popular artist in the world by numbers. But he thinks he's immune to criticism, but he's not, and he's been ignoring it. Um, especially this comes after the Rolling Stone published their investigative piece documenting the show's trouble production, um, and issues between um crew and um the weekend himself it was indirectly blamed and wanted the show revamped and also the controversial scenes that we talked about that we won't go over once again. Um and he's now he's saying what I'm learning about the film business is that when people start rumors, it really does hurt a lot of other people. A lot of people work hard on these projects. When I'm in my world and you guys are coming at me, it's like, all right, cool. I'm a big boy. I can figure it out. But you have 200 people working hard on a project like this. That hurts, especially when the, what they're saying is uh, far from the truth. What can you do? And it's funny because he's kind of blaming the reporters for investigating and reporting it and saying there are rumors and he's like has this big heart for the 200 people in crew who work so hard on this but the information these reporters got were from the crew so where do we go from there um he goes on to say uh his thin his thick skin helps him deal with critics i don't understand how complaining about critics you know, is thick skin to protect you from critics. I don't understand that circular logic. It doesn't make any sense. Um, he said, um, he's used, to, he says he's used to it more than someone like Sam, who's probably a little bit used to it now. I mean, Sam's getting hit left and right. Even Bernard's talking about euphoria. No one's really been complaining about the weekend until this project. So, and then he says, I'm sure Lily, definitely Lily is stronger than both of us. Um, I've been judged since the beginning. My stuff has always been provocative. I understand it's hard for people to separate. Sometimes the people you have an opinion about you, even when it's not true as an artist, you have to know what you, you can't please everybody and you have to accept it. It comes to the job. You have to remind yourself that nobody knows you and, and knows you're a good person. And if you're going out there trying to prove to people that you're a good person all the time, then it come, becomes a dead end. That's what I learned with some people to learn to understand. I have to have thick skin, but I have thick skin. I'm used to it. This is the first time I think in his career, the weekend has actually been facing like negative issues. If I'm correct. Right. Um, on this scale, probably. Yeah. yeah so I don't understand why he's saying he's like, he's used to it as an artist, house of balloons, all that stuff, critical claim. Everybody loved it. This is the first time I think he's ever faced criticism, and that's why he's reacting the way to say he has thick skin and then continue to complain about everything. You know, is I don't know. I don't. I don't know. We don't know. Okay. I have no comments. Um, like these. These dudes with money and so thin skin, bro. You have money. Why do you care? Let it go. I mean broke dude like me i can complain you know i'm broke 
And then, you know, I got people criticizing me. I'm going to be mad. You got money. Let it, just go to Sandra Pay. Go to Spain. And, and just ignore it for like a week. Pull a, pull a George Clooney and go on a yacht in like the middle of Mediterranean for like a week and have nobody bother you. Like, bro, come on. Grow up. Mm. Am I wrong? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds nice. I would love to do that. Um... Yeah, it is so interesting to me, his responses to these things, because it's like, first of all, the show isn't out yet, so we're not criticizing you based on your performance, the idea for the show. We have no idea what the show is going to be, really. Yeah. Um, And you're taking it so personally before anything has really even come out yet. So I don't know how you're going to fare <laughs> when the show actually airs. There is finally an air date because I'm like, y'all, y'all are talking about the show. I'm like, when is the show actually dropping? That's, that's what I'm saying. Like all this, all this but whining it is, it is for a show that's not even out yet. Like, bro, come on. So, um, but he, the thing is, is like, you're working with someone who's already very controversial. So I don't, I don't know what he expected because like you're working with a very controversial person on a show that's already extremely controversial. Like, and he brought up the point of being provocative. I'm like, that has nothing to do with whatever this is. Like being provocative is one thing. Having scenes that are insane (laughs) is a completely different thing. Yeah, provocative is one thing to be provocative, but to have originally intended to have a simulated rape scene in a show what is what is not clicking that is that is like i don't understand with what the mental gymnastics that you can't click the two that that's a line you should not cross at all on any on any medium whatsoever especially with all these issues we're dealing with women's rights and protecting women and all that stuff i don't know how you thought in your head like yeah this is gonna be good this is this is gonna be worth worth it so i don't know it is very confusing to me and i just feel like i feel like the weekend one of the issues that i had with the article or what he's saying in response to the rolling stone article was that like he he the article is saying that he was leaning he wanted to lean away from the female perspective and the weekend has a lot of to say in response to the controversies but he's saying what it what it isn't but he's not saying what it is yeah so if these scenes aren't in here according to his version of the story where all of this stuff is just rumor even though they're investigating people who worked on this show so like what are you talking about but if we're going to take his side and say, okay, yes, these are rumors and they're not true, um, then what is actually going on over here? Did you actually, were these ideas really being floated around? Um, were you guys shooting scenes that were insane for any actor to perform? Um, did you choose to shift the perspective from Lily Rose's character onto your character because you wanted to be the star of the show? Like... You're saying what it's not, but what is it then? Yeah. What's the truth, according to you? Because you haven't stated that at all. So from my viewpoint, I'm not going to take anything that you have to say seriously because you're not even saying anything. What you're saying is that people are mean to me. 
but that has nothing to do with the actual allegations that were alleged about the production of this show that you are starring in. Like, come on, sir. Like, don't don't give me garbage and expect me to take it. Like, yeah. you need to, if you're gonna rope, like, just push all of these things away, then you need to say what exactly happened. Otherwise, those allegations stand, as far as I'm concerned. You know, we've been we've been hearing Frank, not Frank, but all um, the weekend and these complaints for far too long for a show like you said with nobody's seen. And the other two people who were mentioned and featured in the invest in the in the article initially, Sam, Lily Rose Depp, and said ain't said shit, ain't said mm. anything. But according to Weekend and this interview, they're learning now how to be thick-skinned. But the person, this is like the fourth or fifth article with of the Weekend complaining about a report that's like, what, two and a half months old almost? Hmm. Like, I don't Yeah, know. and I feel, yeah. I just feel like, one, Sam doesn't respond to anything, so. Yeah. <laughs> With all the controversy that's gone on with Euphoria and now this, he's not going to say anything about it. I don't know. I don't think he cares yeah. to be to be frank. Like, I don't think he gives a damn about what anyone says. He will continue to make the actual, like, I don't know, the most extreme forms of anything. He will put that on screen. And y'all are going to eat it up. See, yeah. and that's why he's not saying anything because he, he knows people are going to watch this show. Like, he does. And, it's, it's, and for it's, Lily it's... Rose Depp, like... I'm sorry for cutting off. Continue. You're, oh yeah, that's fine. For Lily Rose Depp, one, and and here's the thing, I feel like when your parents are famous and you've grown up in that kind of environment, obviously, you're gonna have a different kind of reality to like everyone else. Like you're gonna expect people to criticize you because that's how you've grown up, and I'm sure she's dealt with that more than anyone. So he's probably right. That doesn't change the circumstances of what's happening on this show. Like, that has nothing to do with what's happening here. <laughs> Whether y'all take it badly or well, like, you have to you have to at least acknowledge, like, what is going on. Like, the reason why this investigation came out is because there were really troubling things that were happening. And you're not addressing it. You're just upset that people are criticizing you. And it's like... I don't know. This is what happens when you're in Hollywood for too long. Like you lose a sense of reality. Like you don't. You're kind of out of touch. This happens with like most people, it's, and it's we're not seeing just it that, play out. Though. I don't think it's not that out of touch. You mentioned something that's really important. You said, um, Lily Rose Depp, father of course Johnny Depp. So she knows to, when shit is happening to shut up. Like she didn't say anything when you know her father was having issues with Amber Heard. She didn't say anything with this. Sam Levin staying quiet father famous director now you have the weekend whose realm is only in the music space he's only dealt with you know music journalists and stuff like that on that level and now he's entering a realm where he doesn't have the cachet to flex so like oh i'm the weekend you know i'm this world famous user. like you're entering a, a different creative space as like an actor and stuff like that where and navigation and understanding how to interact with the press is totally different. Whereas if you're, especially, say, honestly, if you're a musician, particularly in the black community, if you're, if you go head to head with the press, that gives you more buzz, more of it works. In wider Hollywood scope, it doesn't work that way nine times out of ten. Because 
if you keep, you know, pissing off the press, you know, they keep reporting, the fans go, oh, this possibly, the project possibly can't be as good as everybody says. It ends up getting diminishing returns. So I, I think it's one of those things where you have people entering an environment that they're not familiar with. Cause of, and you know, I, mm-hmm. I see this a lot more frequently now that I, now, like these last, this, uh, this year, where you have people who have people who've mostly dealt with influencers and bloggers and stuff like that complaining about journalists because they're assuming journalists should function like influencers and bloggers and give them um, handshake deals and not give them bad press. Whereas, honestly, journalists like the 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 journalists who report on this have no obligation to artists or talent to you know treat them nicely and soft-handed like if your shit is trash i'm gonna report and say your shit's trash and i don't think the weekend has understood that at the moment so so either this show is going to come out and people are going to hate watch it and (laughs) um be really negative um but still you the, the views will still roll in and the money will still roll in or people aren't going to watch it because it's so it's just leveled with so much controversy. I think people are going to probably hate watch it or just watch it just to see what it is. Cause so much has been talked about it already. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't be watching it, but I will be watching the reviews of people who watch it. So yeah, I'm going to watch we'll I'm going to watch reviews and as hopefully people can find it because HBO is in discovery of like renamed all their platforms. So <laughs> people are probably not even going to know where to find this show, but yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not going to watch it, so it is what it is. It is what it is. All right, on to what we've watched this week, Dale. Um, I I went to go watch the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Um, had fun watching it. Um, you know, beyond this, I'm I'm still a, a fantasy nerd. You know, I've mentioned before talking about Star Wars, Star Trek, all that stuff. I've played D and D with my friends. Um, so I don't know. Me and my friend were talking about leaving the movie, like. And it's so weird, and I think the box office the last month has proved it. Like, it's so refreshing now to get, like, a broad spectrum of movies once again. Because, let's be honest, majority of the movies that I've paid to go to if I don't get, you know, my screenings or whatever for free are usually, oh, Marvel movie or this superhero movie or this whatever fill-in-the-blank movie. Like, I'm, I'm happy now that theaters are given more space to not the theaters but to um the studios are given more space probably more now to wider genres and tastes in movies you know so so what is the premise of the are the, are the characters in the movie playing D&D? No, they're not playing D&D. Basically the D&D setup is just the the setting for the world. You know, think of the best I could describe it would be think of um it's just a setting the, the, like the D&D has its own like version of Earth I guess is what version of Earth and they're within that version of their worlds where you know uh Chris uh Chris Pine's character is a bard but not really a bard he's kind of like a spy in a way um if you're a fan of D&D especially if you've watched like the original like animated um cartoon 
um there of course in the maze scene you will see people dressed up in the costumes that those characters wore which i had a funny moment laughing and my friend was like yo what are you laughing at? i was like i'll tell you later because he never saw that like that animated thing was like from the 80s so only reason mm-hmm. i saw it is because i saw it on the on on like the internet before but stuff like that if yeah um good it's a wonderful movie uh I forgot his name. Uh, Justice Smith is hilarious. Uh, mm. But yeah, it's, it's a good movie. It's, I, I like now that Hollywood's given more space to these different genres of movies. And it's done, it did well. I think the last time I heard they were potentially doing a sequel. Don't know if they will or will not. But being in that kind of fantasy setting, if they do a sequel, you do have the freedom to set it with um different, um, different characters. You don't have to follow the, the same four characters around you could say all right within this world this was happening while you know they were doing their thing you know so yeah it's it's a it's a good medium for you know expansion and stuff like that well i did not watch anything because i was watching the bear but i did watch this video by khadija boe called pick me um i've talked about her before over here on this podcast and she just does like cultural video like cultural video essays about like what's going on on the internet but like what's also happening culturally and she kind of was discussing the pick me girl if you know what that is and you know what it is um basically basically like if you watch gone girl there's a scene in Gone Girl where Amy talks about the cool girl. And basically, that's that's kind of what a pick-me is. It's just a woman who, or I guess a man, or non-binary, anyone who, like, alters their personalities to fit um, the person of their desire, the gender, whoever's, whatever opposite gender or same gender person that they desire. I don't know how it works in queer relationships, but in straight relationships, there is a trope of like women who will do certain things just so they can be chosen, right? So she was discussing all of that. Basically, the summary of the video is like the women who make fun of pick me girls are also just feeding into that same idea of like being trying being pick me's by trying to appear different, mm-hmm. like trying to appear as like an alternate version of whatever that standard version woman that seems desired by all men are and um it's really interesting because i've had so many conversations so many conversations with my friends about like this exact idea and a lot of women who have made a habit of like adjusting their personalities their interests how they look and how they dress to be chosen to find a mate because I don't know our society died, like has, is designed to care so much about romantic relationships that you will literally do anything to find a partner and yeah it was a very good video I, I mean I don't I have thoughts but I don't know if I feel like getting into it <laughs> I mean I mean regardless of gender I do think anybody has the capability of being a pick me. Um, mm-hmm. I think we harbor it more for women, um, but for men, it's the same thing. Um, 
for 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 men, you're you're a simp if you're a male. Pick me, and it's kind of it's mm. kind of been viewed it's kind of viewed more in a negative light for men. Or you've heard like I guess multiple other comedians. You know, I forgot where I heard the line, but the idea, oh, dude, you're soft, and like, like it was it's it's weird. I think everybody has has their reasonings for being pick me esque. Everybody has some concessions that they will make for a significant other or search for a significant other. It's not a I don't know why it's viewed on both the male and woman the male and female side as such a um a negative or derivative topic in a way. So yeah. I think it has to do with like misogyny and internalized misogyny for women. Mm um because you're like oh i'm not like that girl like the girl who and that could be anything depending on like who you're like who your object of affection is so like for me growing up because i grew up very religious like if some if a girl was wearing clothes that were revealing or you knew that they were sleeping around that would have a like negative connotation and so you would look at that person and be like, mm, she's easy. All the boys want her, but I'm wifey material. Like I'm blah, blah, blah. Like you have this idea in your head that you are somehow superior to someone else just because you're making different choices. And I think that that's all because of patriarchy and sexism and stuff. Like that stuff is built into, I know for a lot of young women, that stuff is like built into your mind um, from an early age. So I feel like we're, we were all pick me. I know I was for a long time. It takes a long time to like work your way out of that. And when I was growing up, the language of this was not even a thing. Like I didn't even know what this was <laughs> and I was engaging in the behavior, but I didn't have a clue what this was. So now that we have language, now that we have like terms and ways to communicate like these feelings, I feel like it's getting a lot better. But again, the point of the video was like, just because you can't make fun of people who are doing that stuff, even though some of the stuff can be really damaging to other people, who, especially if you have a platform and you're sharing this information. Um, I think that's really unhelpful, but you are also feeding into, I'm not like the other girls because I'm doing something different versus like us just living our lives and, accept, and just accepting people for who they are. And minding our business i feel like that really is yeah. it like just mind your business, <laughs> just mind your business. <laughs> live your own life um yeah and then obviously i yeah. watch coachella so, yeah. so that's it yeah misogyny is really the the core issue of it like circling back to the conversation we had about um and women talking misogyny is the core issue with you know the issues of a men being simps or women men being simps and being regarded other male as being soft or weak, weaker because they're not you know well you're the man why are you chasing after her why are you doing all this for her being a simp and the other side is a pick me where you have women who think they have to like in the words of beyonce and this shall cater to you you know to, to get a man um but yeah it's and hey it's look you do it, it makes me laugh <laughs> in the words of beyonce but I mean, no, I mean, just I honestly, it. I just say, like, you're right. Mind your business. If it works for you, it works for you. Like, you can't you can't judge anybody else's relationship on on your standards. If it works for them, it works for them and let it go. If they're happy and they're in love and, you know, if they're what they're doing isn't negatively impacting your life, let it go. So, 
There they go. Um, yeah. And then I just watched um, the Coachella sets, and that was it. I didn't watch right. Coachella this year. You didn't? No. I... The only reason I watched it was for Frank Ocean. I literally don't watch it. I watch. I don't even think I watched Beyonce's thing. I think I waited until her special yeah, came out. Yeah, that was it. That's what. I don't really. I don't know why I did it this year. I think I was just like intrigued this year, just to see like who was going to be there and what was everyone wearing. And I watched a video about Coachella where there were someone like talked about the history and how it was like a very indie kind of alternative festival that turned into this huge like Instagram like massive platform where like performers were being paid oodles of money just to perform a headline and influencers and TikTokers were showing up and it was just turning into a different thing. But that's what but, happens yeah. with all these festivals. You know, Woodstock, Woodstock was like that and it became corporate, cor- very corporate and they tried to redo it they failed. You know, you have Bonnaroo, you have Class and Bear, you have Coachella, mm-hmm. you have Olapalooza. They're very corporate hell. I remember when, um, dang, what is it? What was it called again? Dang, what was, I don't know, I forgot about it. People were complaining about uh, a festival becoming really corporate and feeding their values. Um, Afropunk, that's what it was. You know, Afropunk was oh. very the same way. And not, but then you have corporations and involves it, and it's not the same. Like it, it happens. It's never going to stay the same. It's going to grow. It's going to change. And people behind it are going to be beholden to other people. So, just have to deal with it. <laughs> deal with it. Deal with it. All right. So that's it from us this week. We hope you guys are taking care of yourselves and doing well. Make sure to check out all of our social media. Support us if you can, and we will see you guys in the next episode. Goodbye. Au revoir. <laughs>